Okay, start recording. And we're going to say, welcome to the Love of Learning Podcast. Welcome, welcome to, to the, the Love of Learning, Learning Podcast. Where we bring the fun and discovery of Kids Quest Children's Museum right into your own home. I'm your host, Ali Sherotis. This episode is all about the arts in our full Steam Ahead series exploring science, technology, engineering, art, and math. So what's the deal with the A in STEAM? When the acronym STEAM evolved from the original STEM around 2013, there were definitely some critics. There was worry that the inclusion of the arts would cut into the time dedicated studying other STEM subjects. Traditionally, the arts and sciences were viewed as being very different and were treated separately. Now, the wider understanding is that the A's role in STEAM is to encourage application of creative thinking and ignite imagination. STEAM is meant to engage both the analytic and creative sides of the brain. Liberal arts, language arts, physical arts all help prepare kids for an increasingly interdisciplinary world. What innovation would we have without someone first following a creative spark? The arts have the ability to capture attention. They can draw us in, even to subjects that might have seemed a little tricky before. Position is the place you are at any given time. You see the instantaneous rate of change of that is the velocity, which is direction and the speed to parts of information. Its instantaneous rate of change is called acceleration. The total distance traveled is by no means an atrocity. The integral of absolute value of the velocity. Another point of interest. So my name is Sadie Bowman. I am the co-founder, co-artistic director, managing director, and a performer <laughs> with Math Theater. And Math Theater is a touring theater company. We use live theater to tell stories that inspire excitement about math and science. We've written a chemistry-themed musical about Marie Curie. We wrote an amazing planetarium musical based on NASA's Voyager mission, which we call it a musical grand tour of the solar system, um, which is to be performed inside a planetarium dome. And we have just released our first season of a podcast. We call it History Science Theater Podcast, and it's a serialized nonfiction musical about science history. So it's just snowballed. And now this is, we're now a nonprofit. We, this is our full-time job. So Ricky and I, this is, this is it. This is all we do. <laughs> and we have gotten to take these shows all over the world. We've toured throughout Asia. We've been all over North America. It's just been really fantastic. How did you come up with your first show, Calculus the Musical? And how did that turn into an entire theater company? actually begins even before our first performance. What happened was my co-founder, his name is Mark Gutman, he was a high school math teacher. And so at this time, you know, mid-2000s, he was teaching high school calculus. There was a student who was really struggling with the concept of maxima and minima, which is a calculus thing. <laughs> it's a math thing. It wasn't that she didn't understand it or she couldn't do it. It was just she just couldn't remember the steps of what do I do when I encounter this. And so he was working with her, trying to help her kind of get over this hurdle. And the way he describes it is out of his mouth, unbidden, <laughs> fell 
For Maxima and Minima, just take the rivet inima. He wrote it down as a parody song to this can-can melody that everybody knows. That was the switch that flipped for that student. From that point forward, he could put down the test and all he'd have to do is just go da, 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 and then she would take it from there. It just worked. And so this was just this magical epiphany. He's like, I'm gonna do this for every concept in Calc 1. And so he did that and it really, really worked. It really engaged the students. Not only their test performance went up, but their engagement went up. They were interacting with the material in a totally different way and it was amazing. That is incredible. I see myself totally in that student who was just really having a hard time remembering how this becomes this becomes this in calculus. And as an adult, even, I catch myself in the mindset all the time of I'm not a science person or a math person. Yeah. For those of you who can't see, Ali is doing air quotes <laughs> when she says I'm not a math person. <laughs> yeah. Science and math is accessible. It can be accessible. There's always a way to find a spark to any subject. I am the theater part of this equation. <laughs> so me being, you know, a comedy and music and musical theater nerd person, kind of as a joke initially, I was like, oh, you have all these songs now about calculus. We should like string them together and make them into a musical. And originally my thought was that this would be just like a goofy, like one-off festival submission that was for adults to kind of orient them to what calculus is. What is it? Why does it exist? Why is it useful? Even if you took math in high school, maybe you don't remember or you haven't connected it to anything in your real life. So I just thought that would be just a silly, super corny, super cheesy comedy about calculus. So we did it at the 2006 Minnesota Fringe Festival, which is a festival of independent performing arts. And we got not the response we expected at all. We ended up selling out the whole run. It was like standing room only, um, just this sleeper hit of the festival. And we're like, wow, this is amazing. Who thought this was gonna happen? Can't explain all the feelings that you're gonna And immediately we were getting teachers, high school teachers, were like, can you bring this to my school? My students need to experience this. We need to do this. We need to do this. One thing led to another and we basically um, went on tour for two years just going to high schools and colleges all over North America, um, which we hadn't really expected. We didn't realize that there was such a need in math education right then for this kind of approach. So it really struck a chord. So the show has been running in one form or another continuously since 2006. So that means this year is our 15th birthday. The landscape and the way we talk about this has changed so drastically and I find that fascinating because Back in 2006, when we first started doing Calculus the Musical, it was such a novelty. Like, people were like, oh, I want my students to experience this. This is nothing that I, it never occurs to me 
to do something like this for my students. It was just so out there. And I think a lot of people, they kind of wanted to see it because it's like, how, how do you make math fun? That's not a thing. Like, what is, what are these people trying to do? It all boils down to a story that you engage with. And that we have found is absolutely an effective entry point to science and math as well. If you can take these abstract ideas and you can kind of distill them into a narrative, just this happens, this happens, and because of that, this happens. Oh, that makes sense. I can connect to that. I can relate to that. And then when you add in the idea of, you know, these characters, like these historical characters, these real people that are interesting in their own ways, or there is something about these people that you can relate to or see yourself or people you know reflected in them, it's a really effective access point. I'm curious if you feel a special connection to any of the historical characters in your shows. Yeah, for me, it's Marie Curie. Definitely. Her life story is so amazing. When we were getting ready to write that show, we knew we wanted a play that had a female protagonist. So we were doing research of all the female protagonists that Sadie Bowman, a white person, could play. You know, we're researching all these people. Oh, Lisa Meitner's pretty cool. Oh, Hypatia's pretty cool. And I was kind of steering away from Marie Curie because I felt like she was kind of the blockbuster female scientist, right? Like when you're thinking of just representation of female scientists, Marie Curie is like the first example. So I was like, oh, I want to give the attention to someone who's a little bit less, less famous, less well-known. But then I read a book about her and I was like, no, this person is amazing. She's got everything going on. This is a person who grew up in an oppressive society in Poland when it was occupied by Russia, and it was literally illegal for girls to go to college. When she was a teenager and a young woman, she was part of this, this society called the Flying University, which is where young women would get together in secret and teach each other and talk about science. They would practice math. They would do like whatever things they were interested in that it was illegal for them to know about. And she basically started an informal school for the children of the farmers in this rural Polish countryside. Even though people thought farm kids don't need to know math, farm kids don't need to read. She's like, yeah, they do. She just had this drive in her that um, in order to make the world a better place, it is on each of us to become the best version of ourselves that we can be. And to her, that came through education. So she was passionate that every individual, no matter what their station in life and what kind of opportunities came easily to them, everybody has a right to be educated. So she was tutoring these farm kids in math and reading. She was subversively teaching them about Polish history and Polish language, which was illegal during the Russian occupation. She totally used education as an act of resistance. It was a matter of social justice to her. And I just found that so compelling, so compelling. So that just comes up in all kinds of angles when I'm talking to kids, you know, about privilege, about opportunity, about, I just, I could keep talking about her, but I know you don't want this podcast to be two hours long. 
We really feel strongly that any scientific discovery or any scientific process is inherently creative, right? There's not a huge distinction to us between the type of creativity that leads someone to write a symphony or the type of creativity that leads someone to unlock the structure of DNA or discover radioactivity. It all comes from this same very human impulse of curiosity, of curiosity and exploration and experimentation, trying things, looking at the situation from multiple points of view and being like, oh, what if I did this? We have this incredible capacity to imagine things and to express ourselves in abstract ways. In that sense, science kind of also is an art. Mathematics, no question, is definitely an art, right? <laughs> Thank you so much to Sadie for talking with me for this episode, and to the rest of Math Theater for creating such incredible productions. Check out Math Theater's website to learn more about their shows, distance learning options, and their podcast, History Science Theater. After working on this podcast, I definitely have some songs about calculus stuck in my head. Much of the music from this episode is from Math Theater Productions. It's your turn to get creative. Today's audio postcard is a fun activity from Kids Quest's YouTube series called Home Quest. In this hat design challenge, Kids Quest educator Chris, who you might remember from our episode about technology, shares a segment from one of his favorite books. Rosie Revere, Engineer. In the book, Rosie's Uncle Fred works as a zookeeper, and she helps him out by designing a hat that keeps pythons off of his head. And he's so grateful. I mean, I would be too. Chris's challenge is for you at home to design some kind of hat to help someone do their job. It can be any job. A plumber, a piano tuner, an opera singer. What could go on a hat to help them out? What are their needs on the job? How creative can you get? It can be as silly or as serious as you like. You can use recycled materials with a grown-up's permission, like cardboard or empty containers, and any hat from around your house to bring your creation to life. Or you could always draw your hat on a piece of paper. I decided to pick my job, making the Love of Learning podcast. And instead of a hat, I'm using my headphones. I added a notepad and a pen because I'm often struck with great ideas while I'm listening to the amazing guests we have on the show. I've also added a sign that sits on top of my headphones that says, Recording in Progress. That lets anyone around me know to tiptoe by when they see the sign. What can you make 